Hello, this is the Ascension Cast, and this is the Matthew Project. I'm Jarrett Blue. I'm Robbie Lockett. And I'm Alexander Thomas. Hello. Uh, hello. Hello. How are you guys? Doing well. I am a little hungry, but ready hungry. to go. Yes, ready to go. Hungry for the word. Hungry <laughs> for the word. Man shall not live by bread alone. That comes up right here. <laughs> um, so here we're going to be talking about chapters three and four of Matthew, where we're going to be introduced to John the Baptist, who I feel like is priming the pump, setting the stage for Jesus, you know, entering. Um, and then we have the baptism of Jesus, which I think is, you know, Alexander, I think, has some interesting, you know, thoughts about just baptism, you know, all in all. And then we have a temptation of Jesus, um, which I think is definitely worth getting into. But before we dive into those kind of like large areas of chapters three and four, I was struck with the time jump that occurs because we first like (laughs) in the last episode or at the end of chapter two, we find that Jesus you know, his family, you know, Mary, Joseph, they've run off to Egypt and uh, to escape, you know, the, the King Herod and what was, mm. you know, about to come for them. But I guess I'm struggling with why does Matthew have this jump in time? We, I, I guess I feel like typically, you know, you, the Gospels are not intended to be a strict biography of Jesus to know like, oh, well, Jesus like went to school and he made good grades and, you know, that kind of, you know, that line of thought. But I do think like his earlier life probably had to be interesting. Yeah. I, I think we were talking about this earlier. I think, you know, I was there you mentioned that Jesus first parable really is the miracle. Um, miracle. Miracle. Thank you. Miracle was um, turning water into wine. Yeah, Correct. and traditionally, but that's in John's gospel. So right. Outside of this one. But it's, I would think like there had to be some other minor miracle <laughs> yeah. that took place <laughs> along the way. Um, and I guess I don't know if that's just, you know, Matthew's choice as the author mm. or, you know, what do you guys think about that? I think a little bit of it may go to the point of, uh, you know, Matthew is certainly going to present Jesus as the spotless lamb of the new Passover. Uh, And and in order to get to that point as a spotless lamb, that means that basically nothing happened, right? I mean, it's apparently kind of a boring story. The the, the good narrative is that, you know, the, the hero falters, and then we follow him through that redemption arc, and he comes out and, like, makes it in the end kind of a thing. That would be a really compelling story, but we can't have that story here because there's never the falter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wonder if partly mm-hmm. it's to just, we're just going to skip it to, to to emphasize how <laughs> boring it must have been because everything was perfect. I, I guess I have two answers. No, I have three answers. I'm going to take that back. I have three answers. One, there are some stories, the apocryphal kind of stories, which Robbie, you mentioned some of them, and making yeah. chairs and some of them are really weird stuff. Like, yeah, like he forgot to do something in the carpentry shop for Joseph. And then Joseph's <laughs> like, Hey, where's the thing? And he just kind of yeah. like miraculously so, hands him the thing, you know, just Jared, I guess you're, stuff. you're not alone in asking that right. question because some people had it. And those are um, very old, right? Those are like, yeah, no, second, I mean, third fourth, century. Yeah, and fourth century is yeah. when some of the other ones are written. Like he's making a, making doves out of rocks and things like that. Um, second answer is, and we mentioned this, or I did in the introduction podcast to Matthew, that Matthew is an ancient biography. And I didn't talk about what that meant, <laughs> uh, but an ancient biography is a type of literature, and that's actually normal for them not really to, in, like when I think of a biography today, I think of a, of a historical 
day by day accounting of someone's life, or at least mm-hmm. highlighting the big points that lead up to something, maybe like this great story. Ancient biographies are different. They don't do that as much. Um, and they do include stories, but a lot of times they're callbacks into other stories. Um, and so that's typical for this type of literature. But the other part that goes with it is there is this idea that was kind of prominent with the early Christians that Jesus was just a normal guy until his ministry, which is then why everyone is like, how, what? Like, aren't you Joseph's son? Uh, so we get this idea. Sound like adoptionism boring. is about to creep in. Well, I said it. I said there was. It was a popular idea among <laughs> early Christians, um, and and I think some of that influence is coming in. Uh, by the way, adoptionism is the idea that Jesus was not divine until his baptism, in which we see today, and then he becomes the Son of God. Essentially, well, then he becomes the Messiah. Later, he becomes the Son of God on the cross. But um, I guess there's different flavors of of that too. But yeah. Heresy comes in many forms. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is funny how we right. just suddenly, like, Jesus was born and now he's a man. I feel like it's like Jesus and like the lost years, and like Netflix is going to do a series about this to like come to the Hollywood version, like what happened in this <laughs> lost time. Um, you know, too, though, I think it, I think we hit on it a little bit talking in, in Acts where we were looking at it in sort of in conversation with other forms of ancient literature. And one thing that jumps to mind is the Iliad, where, you know, right there at the beginning, they're, I think, what, 11 years into the Siege of Troy in the first line of the poem. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of like you're just thrown into this slightly bewildering war scene trying to figure (laughs) out what in the world is going on. And as you orient yourself back, you realize, oh, here's all this backstory mm. that's happened. But I think maybe there's some of that kind of just ancient storytelling mm. type influence there, too, that just, let's just jump right to it. Jump right into right. the action, which takes us right here to John, John the, the Baptist. Baptist. So John the Baptist is this guy that we all know and love, at least us three, because we grew up Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what type of Christian was John? Oh, he was obviously a Baptist. Um, but John the Baptist is really known for a couple of things. One of them, uh, he's taking us right back into the prophets. And so he's speaking with the same voice of Isaiah saying, uh, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths. And so here, John the Baptist is this precursor that is kind of sent out. Um, he's also kind of like a new Elijah, which that's a whole other rabbit hole, but he's there to preach and make people ready for the work and the message of Jesus. Um, And one of the things that he does is he goes around and he baptizes, he offends people, (laughs) um, and he calls people into repentance. Um, In Second Temple Judaism, there was different types of Jews. So we all know about the Pharisees, whom we know and love, and some of us have probably heard of the Sadducees. They were kind of the secular, almost like rulers. They worked at the temple Um, there was also the zealots and they were kind of like, let's overthrow the Romans. And so we can make the kingdom of God happen here and now in a physical sense. And then there was the Essenes. Um, and the Essenes were, they were kind of like Amish in a sense, and they were uh, pretty serious people. So they would live out away from the city and they would live oftentimes out in communities. Uh, they would baptize people, these baptisms of repentance and they were apocalyptic. And so they also talked about how God's kingdom was at hand or was near, and we all need to prepare ourselves for it. But they focused more on the spiritual preparation, and hence these baptisms for repentance. 
And John the Baptist seems to kind of sink right into one of these Essenes here, calling people to repentance, calling us to look for the kingdom. Um, The only difference in John and Matthew is that he says kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God, but it seems to be the same idea. The kingdom is heaven. Jesus, uh, the kingdom is coming. Jesus is on his way. Be ready. I think there's just kind of a linguistic point there of just that strong Jewishness of Matthew's gospel. He doesn't call it the kingdom of God. He calls it the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Potentially, I mean, there are all sorts of theological explanations for why (laughs) are those different terms used, but one of the things very well may be that reticence uh, to pronounce the name and even to get around pronouncing the name by instead of saying Yahweh oh, to I say see. God huh. uh, that where that reticence takes yet another step and it becomes the kingdom of heaven and we see that as kind of a uh, more of a of a Jewish thing there I've literally never heard that or I don't remember and that is really cool <laughs> so thank you for sharing that <laughs> Well, and just one other point there, too. I think that it's, you know, Matthew's continuing to make his theme very apparent to us um, as he goes. And, of course, there are Exodus themes from, you know, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but chapters 1 and 2 were the very strong on the Exodus theme. You couldn't really miss it. And so you're kind of grounded in the Torah, in, in the first two chapters. And now here we show up with John, this like wilderness prophet. <laughs> and so now we've, we've had the law, now we're getting the prophets, and I, we're about to see a fulfillment. And, and you see the fulfillment with the baptism of Jesus. Yes. And so, if, you know, next, or at the guess towards the end of chapter three, we find that Jesus um, has come to John the Baptist to be baptized. And, um, and I guess to me, when I, you know, you get to that point, I guess verse 16 there, um, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God ascending like a mm-hmm. dove and lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. And I feel like from that point, that's launching Jesus off to do, to fulfill, yeah. you know, what he's been called to earth to do. And I think it's kind of like, in a very, um, just like in a very overall, like just good feeling knowing, mm-hmm. like, I guess we know how it ends. And, but I think it's just, it's definitely like launching us off into like Jesus mission and his yeah. journey and getting the disciples and everything that comes, you know, forth to him. And then obviously dealing with the temptation <laughs> of the oh, devil. Yeah. Well, and, and even in that line, we begin to get a glimpse of this mission that Jesus goes on. So, so this line is a quote back into Isaiah 42, uh, which is about um, either the servant of God or the sons of Israel. And so it's, it's quoting back to Isaiah about those who do the will of God and do the work of God in the world. And it's, and it's claiming it as, as like, this is now Jesus, the, the beloved one, which is just powerful. And you see this statement again in the transfiguration, where again, this voice comes out. And so we kind of get this double glimpse of these two moments. Um, and we just see the baptism of Jesus, which before I go off on my baptism rant, I'm going to open it up to Ravi because I think you have some, some additions too. Well, I, you know, one thing there that is uh, really interesting to see, uh, you know, 
very early, of course, we had our discussion about the dating of, of Matthew mm-hmm. early or late, but by late, we meant like the 80s or 90s, not, you know, post-Nicaea or something mm-hmm. in the fourth century. And here's Jesus's baptism, and he sees the the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and so we have Jesus the Son, we have the Spirit descending, and then we yeah. have the Father's voice. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit mm-hmm. all together right there, and so there's there's our sacrament completely, fully prefigured um, here in Jesus's baptism. Of course, right before that sending out, mm-hmm. uh, the the launching of that mission, um, and he's about to start talking about loaves of bread. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, we're we're never very far from the Eucharist. I don't think. No, it doesn't get away, does it? <laughs> you know, and I think bringing up sacraments, so like. We have baptism because we need baptism. So why was Jesus baptized? You tell us, Alexander. Okay, well, I have, I have my answer. So, so I love it. Is, is Jesus didn't need to be bapti- baptized. Baptism needed Jesus. And I love that as an answer. And, and it's one that the church has used for a long time. But baptism didn't need... Jesus didn't need baptism. Baptism needed Jesus is in this moment, like, the waters become changed. Like, mm. like in a sense, Jesus baptized the waters. Um, in my office, I have a, a lot of icons, but around, I have a bunch of different baptisms of Jesus. And y'all can't see, but I'm pointing up on my wall. I have, like, eight different versions <laughs> of baptism ones. I, I love this, this icon. But you'll notice in there is that Jesus never is actually in the water. And that was the way the early church kind of communicated, that Jesus didn't need to be baptized. And even, so oh, yeah. those Ethiopian ones, there's kind of like a, a glance of water on him, but he's not in the water still. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cool. You'll notice on some of them, there's like fish, like swimming in the river. Um, so that comes back to this psalm, but it's about like the unrighteousness and the disordered world fleeing before the justice of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, ju- like God's justice rolls in the waters of baptism. Um, and so I love this idea of baptism, but there's also more going on to our own like Christian and sacramental experience of baptism here. And that is connecting the story of Jesus back to the story of Israel, which if you remember, we come out of Egypt and what is one of the first things the Israelites do when they leave Egypt? They have to run through the sea. They run through the sea and they're supposed to go to the promised land, but they kind of mess that up. And and then they spend a, a certain amount of time doing something. Do you remember that one? I believe it was 40 years. Oh my ago. gosh. Whoa, this sounds exactly like what's going to happen right here. So, so this is one of those other moments where Jesus is walking back through the story of Israel, where Israel passes through the sea into the promised land, but there's these 40 years that some type of preparation kind of has to take place. And 40 is a, a, a time frame of preparation in the Bible. And so here Jesus spends the 40 years in the wilderness, or 40 days in the wilderness reminding us of Israel's 40 years in the wilderness before they come into the promised land. And what's really cool about the temptations, uh, which is about bread, and then about who is the ruler of the earth, and then about worship, they mirror some of the same phases that Israel goes through. And here is where we really see to its fullest all of these temptations Israel failed. Mm-hmm. One of the first things they do out in the wilderness is they call out and they ask for bread. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the first things that they do when they become established as as a nation is they make their own king mm-hmm. instead of God as king. 
And then what they do and they continue to do is worship other gods. So where they fail here, Jesus succeeds. And so to me, this is really kind of like the crux of the story of presenting Jesus as this new Moses, as this new Israel we see come to life here. Well, and I really like the icon that you have with the the, the chaos running away in the, the rolling oh, yeah. waters because you see that happen again okay. at oh, the yes. end of the temptation. Oh, yeah, and we've even got like, what are these, like the shades, the they're ghosts? Like, so they're, they're like little demon guys. Yeah. That's what's riding on the fish. Sometimes it's just fish. Sometimes it's the demon Oh, the guys. demon's riding yeah. the fish. Okay. Oh, yeah, there they are. But, you know, that's sort of the way the temptation ends yeah. with that offer of from the devil to, uh, you know, I'll give you all of this if you will only fall and worship me. <laughs> and Jesus says, be gone. Mm. You shall worship the Lord your God with, yeah. you know, and him only shall you serve. And so that is, of course, that's when he leaves, right? Because that's the, that's the step he can't take. But also there is all of those forces of evil fleeing. Uh, from the, the righteousness of God yet again. So I think like, just something to think about like on your own, you know, and I pose it to the guys as well, is when you look at the temptation of Christ, um, the question that I've kind of wrestled with is does the spirit lead us into temptation? Um, and I don't know if there's like a, a, a very simple answer to it. I don't necessarily have the answer. Um, but when you look at, I guess, jumping ahead a couple of chapters um, into Matthew 6, the 13th verse, um, I guess it's from the Lord's Prayer, you find that it says, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from e the evil one. And so I feel like, you know, the spirit, many things are um, like nature or acts can happen on their own. But I think at the end always is that the spirit can deliver us from mm -hmm. the evil one and from, you know, things that may come about that are, you know, manifestations from the devil. Um, but I don't really think that the spirit like Christ himself or like the Holy ghost or any of those <laughs> forms are like tempting us to do evil things. Obviously I think that's the devil, but it is an opportunity then for Christ to, or for the, the the Holy Spirit to deliver us from, you know, these evil things. I think we can look a little bit at some, I hate to use the word evolution, but some evolution of the thought of kind of, what do we mean by tempted? What do we mean by devil? Uh, where if you go back to Job, for instance, you know, the a, a lot of English translations will show you that Satan walks up into the court of God and says, hey, what about your servant Job? Let me go tempt him, you know, hasatan. How, that, how all that works out. But yeah, the, the, the Hebrew word there is hasatan, the Satan, the tempter, the, the accuser. And uh, so that whole notion that, you, you know, obviously God permits hasatan to go and uh, cause all of these horrible things to happen to Job. Uh, and, and we get one of the most astonishing pieces of ancient literature there is as a result. But I don't know. I think we can think about that in terms of maybe tempted is a little bit loaded of a word in English. Uh, and mm -hmm. we could be led to a trial uh, because if we don't have trials, we can't overcome them. And uh, if we don't overcome, then what have we done anyway, right? <laughs> Well, I think that's like a tough question, but I think one thing we do know is that Jesus was not tempted, and so he was... He was tempted, but he endured. He endured. Okay. I mean, that's 
Correct. And so I think what we do know, Jesus like game time, like he's ready to go now. So like, <laughs> you know, next we find that John the Baptist has been put in prison. Um, and so, you know, Jesus comes and starts beginning the ministry at that mm-hmm. point. So I think it's kind of interesting, like, you know, he's been in like the wilderness and now yeah. it's time to start the mission, like on the ground, you're starting to choose your disciples and, you know, you kind of go from there, you start to see cool. the Miracle. How, how many disciples? What originally or? Yeah, yeah, like, or how many? Like, there's 12, like the 12 tribes. Oh, it's Israel oh, again. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was a trick <laughs> question. <laughs> like, no, no, I was like, Yeah, well, I, I love this part. I've, I've never I've never been able to, to get away from, I guess, the New King James translation um, where you call Simon or Peter. He says, you were, fisher, you were fishermen, now I'll make you fisher of men. The translation now is just, I will make you fish for people. doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah, it loses but, some, some poeticness in its inclusivity a little bit. Yeah, mm. but I, I love this whole idea of, of like our calling as these people who follow Jesus is to share and spread the goodness with, with others. And, and it's like going back to Israel, like they could have been, they were the blessing for the world and, and they end up fighting the rest of the world instead of blessing the rest of the world. And, you know, I think it's interesting, too, that the first metaphor we get for that is fishermen. Yeah. Uh, and probably to the fishermen who heard it, it might have sunk in a lot more than it ever did for me for a long time. Of You get this expectation, I think, that you know, if, if we go out and, and proclaim the good news that everyone who hears it, and even the people who don't quite hear it because they're a little too far away, are just all <laughs> going to come running and and just come join the church and and fill the pews and all of that kind of stuff. But I mean, fishermen spend most of the time not catching fish. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It's only a few that they that they pull out. Um, so maybe there's something something there too. Yeah, and I guess we're gonna see Jesus. He he goes out preaching and teaching and and healing, but he goes out. He yeah. goes to where they are. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't just invite them to to his club to come hang out. And he gets uncomfortable as he, you know, just in verse 44. So his his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they they bring into him the sick, uh, those with diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics. And, you know, it's it's those that are the outcast, and that's who Jesus spends his time with. What a calling. Yeah. Well, they bring them all to him, and he healed them. Mm -hmm. Like, just... Kind of that finality there is just kind of sort of infinite patience for all of this stuff. <laughs> but I think it's interesting too. You you know you mentioned that he's you know healing like the outcasts, or mm. but then also we go back to chapter one, and so like there were outcasts there oh, part the of the genealogy, and, you know, oh, and wait, yeah. just you know the you know as I was talking about like the women at the mm-hmm. time, you know, using prostitutes and like bringing them to the forefront, you know? Yeah. So I think, you know, once again, showing, I think uh, the connection that Jesus is for us all is not just for a select few mm, or certain yeah. types of individuals. I, I forget who is this, who this quote is from, and I might not like the person I'm quoting it from, but I like the quote, <laughs> which is the gospel is never offensive because of uh, who it keeps out. The gospel is always offensive because of who it lets in. Mm-hmm. And that's a quote that I've always loved. And so, and, and it's one I try to, to, to stick by. Um, we should be an offensive people because of who we let in. Yeah. 
Well, I think that, you know, this is like a good way to kind of end, you know, chapter, this discussion regarding chapter three and four. I think as we started, you know, John the Baptist is priming the pump and setting the stage for Jesus through his baptism. Um, and then from there, we're, we're left with seeing Jesus, you know, hitting the ground running. You know, he's been through the wilderness and he's ready to start the ministry. He's mm -hmm. chosen his disciples. Um, and I guess now you're really just seeing everything in action. And then those parables that we're all so familiar with, you know, start, you know, coming to life. Um, and those mm -hmm. lessons that we learned of mm -hmm. Jesus of like how we should walk and, you know, govern ourselves as later as the, the body of Christ. So with that, peace. 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 <laughs>